know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation. This week, we have Chris Stark. She has a master's in fine arts and also an MSW. She's an author of a few great books that I'm sure she'll touch on. She's also an artist. Her artwork hangs in numerous galleries around the U.S. She is a speaker and she is a longtime advocate, survivor, and proud Indigenous woman. And she is going to talk to us today about the work that she does. And I'm sure that you are just going to be grasping on all these jewels that she has to say about um, work with Indigenous women, work with survivors um, in general, because she has traveled both of those paths. So welcome, Chris. I'm, I'm so happy you had time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you um, published something called the Garden of Truth Report. Let's start there. What, what is that? Yeah, so um, the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition and Prostitution Research and Education, um, we came together uh, back in like maybe 2009 um, to collaborate on a research project around the prostitution and trafficking of Native women in Minnesota. Um, because we know that, you know, um, in the culture we live in, things aren't, you know, quote unquote real or um, taken seriously unless we can, um, you know, have research published on it. And so we really wanted to fill in that gap and provide, um, uh, you know, increased awareness and information for uh, the Native community, Native advocates, you know, and other, uh, you know, dominant society uh, systems so that we could, um, you know, assist the women in prostitution and trafficking. And so we interviewed 105 Native women in prostitution and trafficking uh, throughout the state and um, gathered a, a significant amount of information that really points to um, the incredible harm that colonization through sexism, racism, land loss, poverty, and so on, um, you know, has created for uh, Native women and the Native community, you know, at, at large. Wow. And so for some of us that aren't even familiar with Native communities, Indigenous populations. What type of Indigenous populations did you um, interview? How did you interview? How did you find them? You know, how did you even go about this? You, you say you did it all over the state. How did you do that? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, we used um, much of the same uh, questionnaires that Melissa Farley has used in uh, the U.S. and in um, other countries uh, throughout the world mm -hmm. um, because we wanted to be able to compare and contrast the information that we got with, um, you know, her study. Mm -hmm. And then we also created our own culturally specific questionnaire. Um, we mm -hmm. used uh, snowball sampling 
And um, we did the interviews in uh, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, Bemidji, and then also Duluth. Um, and we just put the word out through, you know, our organizations and advocates um, and, uh, you know, homeless shelters and so forth where, where the women, uh, you know, where we would be able to get in touch with them. And then, of course, you know, they told, um, you know, their friends. And, and so we, um, for instance, in Duluth, uh, we interviewed roughly 50 women up there. And uh, we ran out of the time, money and energy um, to continue those interviews. And we could have interviewed many more. So it's wow. really um, a, a, a huge um, problem in the Native community. And it's also, um, you know, uh, we don't have the exact numbers, of course, but, you know, it's a significant piece of the missing and murdered Indigenous women um, in the U.S., in Canada, uh, in, you know, uh, Central America, um, the Caribbean and so forth. And so which tribes did you engage? Who, who did you interact with? Well, um, you know, we worked with uh, the the tribal um, nations here in Minnesota, and so that was um, Dakota and also um, Ojibwe or Anishinaabe. Uh, mm-hmm. But we interviewed any women. I mean, you know, there's uh, it was primarily Anishinaabe and Dakota women, but there were you know uh, women from other tribal nations uh, living in Minnesota who who we also interviewed. So it was a self identification. And so what were the, did you notice any differences between Melissa Farley's findings and, and, and your findings with Indigenous women? Well, um, I, I think that they, there are a lot of the, the similar, you know, there were a lot of similarities. Um, uh, and for us, uh, we had the highest rate of homelessness of any of the um, studies that she had done uh, elsewhere. Oh, wow. So, wow. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was 98% were currently or previously homeless, which of course is just, um, you know, a, a really painful when you consider that indigenous people, you know, were the first people um, on this land. We were, mm-hmm. we've been here for a long time. And so um, that connection between, um, you know, the attempted genocide, the colonization, and then the loss of land, and then the dislocation that that has caused in native communities, we see that directly um, you know, uh, uh, represented in our, uh, the numbers of women in prostitution and trafficking, the number of Native women in prostitution and trafficking. You said 98%. Yeah, currently or previously homeless, correct, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, another, another um, statistic was that 79% of the women we interviewed had been sexually abused as children by an average of four perpetrators. And one of the things um, to keep in mind that most people aren't aware of is that um, Native women, unlike any other uh, groups of women, are um, predominantly abused by men from other races. And so, you know, um, again, we see that, right, that direct link of of colonization um, in the Native community and the the targeting of uh, Native women and and youth. uh, through sexual violence and domestic violence, prostitution, trafficking, and so forth. So many of the women that are abused are abused by people outside of the tribal nation, right? I mean, it could be inside, but a lot of people that are abused are outside of the tribal nation. Is that what you're saying? That's correct, yes. It, for for any kind of sexual um, or domestic violence in, in the Native community, mm-hmm. uh, that is accurate. and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of um, jurisdictional issues. There's a lot of complications in the Native community um, because of the different um, 
uh, relationship and legal uh, issues that mm-hmm. arise from, you know, sovereign nations and the mm-hmm. United States government. That's a really long, you know, story uh, to go into or a lot of information, but there's a lot of differences. And so it's important that people um, are aware of that, um, that there are, are, are significant uh, differences in those ways, but also Native women in general have the highest rate of violence committed against them than any other group in the United States. So again, we see that, um, you know, uh, increased level of violence that's uh, committed against Native women, like use of weapons, use of um, guns, and, um, you know, murder rates on some uh, reservations mean 10 times higher than the rest of the nation. All of those things are, um, you know, obviously connected with prostitution and sex trafficking. We can't just like pull one mm-hmm. quote unquote form of violence out and and think that, you know, it's not interconnected with all of these other issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that they see justice is probably pretty rare since you're dealing with various nations in the U.S., correct? Yeah, um, you know, uh, that is something that uh, Native women, you know, generally are not going to go to the police or, or look to the um, systems, right, uh, mm-hmm. social service systems or the police, um, uh, the criminal justice system for assistance and, and for help. And there's a further complication and, you know, I'm not a legal expert, <laughs> so I don't want to go into this mm-hmm. too much, but the, uh, you know, it's like the um, United States attorney, uh, they are the ones who um, determine what cases um, in indigenous um for tribal women go forward and become prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, deny like 62% of the sexual violence cases that even get referred. So it, it you know, again, it's like that uh, another um, barrier uh, mm-hmm. for um, Native women to try to find justice in the legal system. One of the things that I explored in a recent article that I, I wrote for uh, Palgrave, um, uh, international human reference uh, work was to consider using civil litigation in the native community mm-hmm. um, for prostitution and sex trafficking because you can uh, then remove that um, barrier and you have uh, you know the the attorney and the attorney's investigators are working for um, the the woman herself versus mm-hmm. um, being sort of maybe controlled or not even um, prosecuted through the criminal justice system. Um, and I also think that civil litigation is a, is a really, um, great and untapped, uh, potential or has great and untapped potential for, you know, any, uh, person who's been uh, harmed in prostitution or trafficking, uh, to look into using civil litigation. And so there's just sort of, um, institutionalized racism, and sort of these systemic barriers. And you, you actually wrote a book about the history of trafficking and exploitation of indigenous women. Um, what, what's that book called? Um, actually, that's the um, Palgrave article. And I have also oh. um, co-edited an international anthology that came out in 2004. Um, and then I, I also wow. have a novel called Nichols, A Tale of Dissociation, uh, which um, gives a really inside look to a child that's surviving um, repeated um, sexual, physical, uh, and emotional 
verbal violence in the home and how she, um, you know, compartmentalizes and develops different parts of herself in order uh, to survive that. So those are the two books that I have out right now. And then the the, the history uh, article that I wrote, it includes a historical section, a contemporary um, section, and then also um, examining the use of civil litigation in the na- for, for the Native community. Wow. And the history, when we start to look at it, also is something that is just kind of sort of starting to come out more. And um, for instance, there was a book written a few years ago that found that there were between two and a half and five million indigenous slaves, which is much higher than um, what we had previously uh, thought was true. Mm-hmm. And um, we see we see all of these connections for um, indigenous uh, women um, between, you know, the Canada and what we call the United States. And then, you know, like I said, Central America, even South America and the Caribbean, where there's all this um, sex trafficking, essentially going back and forth historically mm-hmm. with the arrival of Columbus. And then it just continued on as more European countries came over. And so in that process, the very beginning stages of, of this colonization, um, it was particularly indigenous women um, on this land that were targeted by uh, the colonizers. Um, and so we see this really as a core element to the genocide of um, indigenous people or the attempted genocide of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And then um, also, um, I, I have a, a desire for the sex trafficking, you know, the anti-sex trafficking uh, movement or work to really um, ground themselves in uh, this information mm-hmm. and um, to educate themselves because, uh, again, that is um, really the, the center or the beginning. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have, uh, you know, slavery from the African people being brought in. It, mm-hmm. it goes on. But we really need to root this work um, in the actual history of uh, of this land. And, and why simple. is that important that advocates understand the history of enslavement or bondage or oppression? Why is that important? Why can't they just start the work like today and start helping people? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's important because, um, as we know, history repeats itself. And the more that um, for, I studied, um, the history of the sexual violence directed um, at indigenous women by the original colonizers, by Spain and by um, you know France and um, England and so forth, is that we see that essentially th- the similarities between what is being um, done to uh, Native women now in what we mm-hmm. call prostitution, trafficking, domestic violence, mm-hmm. it's just a continuum that began with that. And yeah. um, to, you know, to know your history, we have to know where we come from and we have to know the, the truth of that. Um, and the, the other, uh, you know, piece to that, so that idea that history continues or repeats itself, as we might say. Um, the other piece of that is that it's important for people to understand that because um, with sexual violence in general, but especially with uh, prostitution and sex trafficking, um, it is the the idea that it is the women's fault or the even the child's fault. There's still many many people who who believe that either consciously or they've absorbed it and don't really realize how much they absorbed. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to stop blaming the women and uh, the children or any men who are hurt in these ways. 
And by solidifying that uh, in the history of this country, it was here from the very beginning. Um, the colonies had brothels. They brought this system of prostitution and sex trafficking with them and instilled it in mm. those um, original colonies immediately. Christopher Columbus, one of the first things he did um, was to uh, take indigenous women and girls over, over to Europe and sell them for sexual slavery. And um, sell, uh, you know, in his own words, uh, selling nine and 10 year old girls, going out on the islands and hunting for nine and 10 year old girls to sell them for mm -hmm. sexual slavery. So it's important um, because I think that that helps to um, uh, combat this idea that this is something nasty and um, gross about these individuals or they're broken mm -hmm. or they have poor self-esteem or they made the bad choice or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead to understand it, that this is systematic, it's rooted in the very even before this country was formed, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, uh, pre, uh, you know, um, the pre-formation of the United States, right? We went through the revolution. Mm -hmm. um, to understand that there is going to be, in the, in the culture that we live in, there is going to be a group of women and children who are going to be used in this way. They're going to be harmed in this way. And then they're going to be blamed and stigmatized by the mm -hmm. rest of society. And that keeps the whole thing in place, right? It's like a, yes. a bow around it and it keeps it all in place. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's important for people who are, who are working with survivors and it's important for the survivors to have a different understanding and a different viewpoint of um, themselves and what they went through instead of just simply, you know, blaming themselves or, exactly. or feeling bad about themselves. Um, that was one of the things that we saw in the Garden of Truth is that many, many of the women um, found um, or wanted to uh, be a part of um, Native traditions, ceremonies, powwows, feasts, and so on. But they felt that they were so bad as an mm -hmm. individual. Their, their spirit was so bad. They were so rotten um, that if they were to go around any of that, they would um, harm, harm it or demean it. Mm -hmm. And that's just tragic because yes. um, one of the most powerful ways for many, uh, you know, uh, Native women in prostitution and sex trafficking or any kind of violence um, is to uh, be part of Native community and reconnect with your tribe and go through those powerful um, ceremonies and healings. Yes. Um, and so that's just, mm -hmm. you know, another, there's just, I think there's many layers and many reasons why that is so important to know the history. And also yeah. simply because the truth matters. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> I think ahead. for the, for the people that are just, um, you know, just discovered human trafficking or what we're calling it today, or, you know, they've been involved in two years, you know, in the fight for two years or two minutes you didn't discover this like this is something that has been occurring and so that's why you know i agree it's so important to understand the history and how it's been positioned and how it's been rooted and who has been blamed and who has been doing the blaming so that we can get some clarity on you know who what we need to do in order to it's not just about rescuing one at a time 
I'll rescue this one. And then we go on the news and everybody takes photographs. We have a, you know, conference about it and, you know, everybody gets written up in the paper and then they go on to rescue the next one. This is ridiculous. It's, it's systemic and it requires changes, uh, you know, whole paradigm shifts and those types of things. So the people that get in and are like, I, I just want to go rescue people and I just want to feel great about myself. That yeah. really does very little when we're talking about a human rights issue, not talking about just rescue and restore, talking about deeply rooted human rights for people. Justice is love in action. And so I love this poem by Stuart Adkoff. And it talks about love in action. It says, Dr. King taught us the kind of love that will overcome. Remember that? He said, it ain't a patient love. It ain't a waiting, nor a lazy love, nor a can't kind of love. It's a marching love and a voting and a registering and a door knocking and a phoning and a posting and a rallying and a hell raising love and a jail going love and a sitting in and walking the picket lines kind of love. It's love in action, what some folks call justice. So in the anti-trafficking movement, we need a, a law kind of love. We need a, I'm going to focus on the mission more than myself kind of love. We need a, I'm going to speak truth to power kind of love. And I'm going to work to break the bonds of oppression, not just simply continue to rescue one after another kind of love. And when people hold you back, I need you to show the kind of love that recognizes that sometimes you need to say, take this job and shove it like a Johnny Paycheck song kind of love, because you need to live up to a higher purpose. You need to serve your mission and put your love into action. And that's what Chris Stark is about. So thank you for tuning in to listen to fellow anti-trafficking advocate Chris Stark. The second half of her story will air next Tuesday. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.